right. Now please, as you get your handouts and you see that we're looking at covering three chapters this morning, don't panic and call mom and cancel lunch. We do have a lot to cover this morning, but uh, I think God will give grace as we move through these chapters on the flood. I want to encourage you, if you haven't been coming to Sunday school next week, uh, we'll continue our regular Sunday school classes. The new members class is over. Uh, I'll be going through uh, the book of Mark. So if you want to start reading Mark, uh, we've been going through it together, been working, uh, had, had been doing some, uh, just going through a passage together, helping you learn how to read your Bible better, and, uh, and I have learned from uh, the folks in our class, and, and we've learned together more about the gospel of Mark, and so we're going to pick that back up. I think we are in... Um, around Mark chapter 6, I'll probably take next week and just give you kind of an overview of those first few chapters, and uh, we'll begin looking at that again uh, for, our son- for my Sunday school class. So, I can remember uh, as a very young man, uh, back in the 70s, uh, the automakers were concerned that their cars were getting good and running so long that people weren't buying them, and so they had something called planned obsolescence. And uh, so the, like the steel in the cars wasn't that great, and it began to rust out over time, and that turned out to be a really bad decision uh, to make. But what they also began to learn is like if you, if you upgrade the model, get the newer model with newer features and things that the previous model didn't have, and change the looks a little bit and make it look cooler, then people want to upgrade. Uh, And then that thought pattern continues. I mean, we talk about uh, software. I I was a programmer uh, in my past life, and uh, we would have new versions of software that would come out that had new features and uh, and nowadays there's games that come out and they have they have upgrades and and new missions and different things like that. And then I'm always amazed with our phones, right? Uh, currently, there is running a commercial for uh, a new iPhone, and the only thing new about it is it's yellow. Okay, but apparently that sells iPhones. Okay. So we have this, this thing of uh, new releases, new phone releases that have new features, and, and, and this is something that's been going on for quite some time in the world, but as we have looked at the book of Genesis, so far we've looked at what I'm calling Earth 1.0, and Earth 1.0 was the first version, and in Genesis 1, after God create, created Earth 1.0, we read this, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. But after Adam and Eve's rebellion, after Cain's murder of Abel, after Cain and Seth began to multiply, after the uh, rebellion uh, of the angelic watchers, after all the violence perpetrated by the Nephilim and humanity, 
we read this very sad commentary on the state of earth in Genesis chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. Genesis 6, 11 and 12. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and instead of being very good, behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. God's good creation had been corrupted by humanity. Earth needs to be rebooted, as we used to say in the programming world. Or better yet, earth needs an upgrade to version 2.0. God's good creation corrupted by humanity. And as we noted the last time... Even when rebellion and wickedness abound, the Lord, according to his character, will remain true to his promise of a serpent-crushing offspring. And so the Lord showed grace to Noah. And as a result of God's favor, we see this statement concerning Noah in Genesis 6, verses 9 and 10. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The Lord here is raising up a righteous and blameless man for a purpose. What is that purpose? We will see as we move into our text today. But the Lord is going to blot out the earth and its inhabitants. We picked that up from the previous verses that we looked at last week. The Lord determined that he was going to blot out the earth and its inhabitants. But as we will see, God is determined to preserve life through judgment by the obedience and intercession of one righteous man. So let's pick up in Genesis 6.13. If you go ahead and turn the slide to the outline there. There we go. Genesis 6. We're going to read portions for time's sake this morning. We're going to read portions of Genesis 6 through 9, 17. So 6, 13. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Skip down to verse 17 after he gives the instructions on how to build the ark. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. And then it talks about how the birds and the animals and creeping things are brought and the food is to be brought in. And we, get, we see verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. So we have a righteous, blameless, obedient servant. And as you read your Bibles, when you see those things, that should cue you in that we're seeing a type of Christ. Okay. On to chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household. 
For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And then he gives instructions on how seven pairs of clean animals are to be brought into the ark and one pair of all other animals. Verse 5, And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Skip down to verse 16, the last part of that verse. And the Lord shut him in to the ark. So we have the Lord saying, build an ark. And then we have the Lord saying, go into the ark. And we see the Lord shutting Noah into the ark. And then the waters prevail over the earth. God is returning the earth into the state that it was in when we first came to it in Genesis chapter 1. The state that it was in when he first created it with darkness and water and water covering the earth. Verse 23 We see God completing what he said he was going to do is for the third time it mentions blotting out. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Now that brings us into chapter 8. And chapter 8 is ripe with Genesis 1 language. It is cueing us in that this is a recreation. Remember that wind and spirit are the same word in Hebrew, uh, and it's also in Greek. Wind and spirit are the same. So as we see the wind blowing over the earth, think about the spirit hovering over the earth at creation. Uh, The waters are going to be restrained back into their boundaries. Dry land will appear as the mountaintops come out. Birds are going to fill the air and animals are going to spread out on the ground with a blessing from God to be fruitful and multiply. All this Genesis 1 language is coming in again to this chapter and in this portion and then another clue that God is doing a recreation of the earth occurs in the fact that from Genesis 6 1 to Genesis 9 17 God speaks 10 times just as he did in Genesis 1 there are patterns and cues that Moses is wanting us to pick up on as we read our Bibles and this is one of them Ten times God speaks in Genesis 1 in the seven days of creation. Ten times he speaks here in the story of the flood as he recreates the earth. So let's pick up with Genesis 8 verse 1 and let's read down to verse 5. But God remembered Noah. That's a phrase that's going to come when God remembers his covenant. and, And the psalmist is going to call out to God, remember me. Remember the covenant that you have with me. We can call out to God because we are members of the new covenant if you're a Christian. And we can call out to God and say, remember us. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the water had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. 
picking up rest from Noah's name. Remember Noah, the prediction about him, his name means rest, uh, or sounds like the word rest. Verse 5, And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. The dry land appears in Genesis 1 language. Then Noah sends out a raven and a dove to see if God's judgment is over. Look down to verse 15. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Hearkening back again to Genesis, when he created the animals, he gave them the blessing to multiply on the earth, be fruitful and multiply. He also gave that a second time. He says, be fruitful and multiply to Adam and Eve. We will see that also happen here with Noah later on. Verse 18, obedient Noah. So Noah went out. And his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. So God has now reformed the earth. We now have earth 2.0, if you will. And with earth 1.0, when Adam sinned, God cursed the ground. Remember, Adam had the blessing of God, so he could not curse Adam, so he cursed the ground. We read that in Genesis 3.17. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now, we have that little background. Let's look at Noah's intercession and the Lord's response as God blesses and covenants with Noah. Noah's intercession. After Noah leaves the ark, he offers a sacrifice. And we could say that God's righteous servant, who had obeyed God at every command here, makes intercession for the world. Genesis 8.20 Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. We have three promises from the Lord. Now it's using his covenant name here, all capitals, L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh. He will never again curse the ground because of man's sin. He looks at man and he's like, man is just always thinking evil. I'm not going to curse the ground again because of him. Secondly, he will never again strike down every living creature by water. And then the third thing, on a positive note, while the earth remains, there will be times and seasons. We can can wake up every morning and count on the fact that the sun is going to rise and the sun is going to set. And that there's going to be times to plant and there's going to be times to harvest. There's going to be seasons where we can kind of count on these things. And man takes advantage of those things. And we used to have 
you know, Little Richard's Almanac that would tell you when to plant and when to, you know, all these little different guides for farmers and people that were growing their gardens and things. And it's moved on into our day with agriculture and, and the, that process. We can count on these things. But now, at this moment, I'd like for us to just pause and consider Jesus. Because Jesus is the greater ark that went through the judgment waters of God's wrath against our sin for us. You see, the flood is going to now become a symbol or a picture in the Bible. When you hear waters or floods, that should cue you in God's judgment. Okay, And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But Jesus is the greater ark that went through God's judgment waters for us, for our sin. When we are in him, we pass through God's judgment. So if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, your sins, you're bearing, you're going to bear the judgment for those when you die. And, and God's judgment will come upon your sins and you will be cast eventually into the lake of fire to suffer for all eternity for your rejection of an eternal God. But the good news is, Jesus Christ became an offering for your sins. And if you will repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, God joins you to him. He puts you in the ark, if you will, of Jesus. And he closes the door. He seals you with his Holy Spirit. And we can safely pass through the waters of death and God's judgment upon our sin. And we will come out the other side forgiven and be able to be in the presence of God for eternity. So Jesus is the greater ark for our salvation. It is also important the doctrine of our union with Christ. When you read the book of Ephesians, we read in Christ, in Him, over and over and over again. He is our salvation, beloved. And we can rest in Him. But then a third application of Jesus being the greater ark is baptism. See, baptism pictures our death, burial, and resurrection. And what is baptism performed in? This is easy. We're Baptist, right? Anybody want to shout out the answer? Thank you. Water. Water. Those waters picture not only the grave, but God's judgment. And so when you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then baptism becomes a, a, an outward public symbol of what has happened inwardly in you. And if you are a believer and you've never been baptized, your first step of obedience to the Lord is to be publicly baptized, to show that you are, have died to yourself and you've went through those symbolic judgment waters that Christ literally went through for you. And that you are raised from the dead to walk a new life following Jesus. Jesus is the greater ark, but he's also the better Noah. He is a righteous, obedient servant who intercedes for us. Hebrews talks that he ever lives to intercede for us. He doesn't pass away. 
He's always alive, and so we always have an intercessor with God on our behalf. We need not ever fear God's judgment as Christians because of Christ's righteous obedience on our behalf. Thirdly, as we consider Jesus, I mentioned it briefly before, when reading your Bible by way of application, the flood is a symbol of God's judgment. The Egyptian armies are destroyed by the waters of the Red Sea. Egypt is left in decreation as well. They, they were left in darkness, right, covered with waters. See the flood being used. Israel is now God's new creation coming out the other side. I'm going to stop there because we could just continue. But these are symbols that repeat themselves throughout the Bible. In Isaiah 8, the Assyrian armies are compared to floodwaters. They are bringing God's judgment upon the nation of Israel. Psalm 69 speaks of the cross. It's a messianic psalm, but the judgments are compared to floodwaters. Waters coming upon the messianic figure in Psalm 69. And then Psalm 124 also uses it. There's others. We won't, don't have time to mention them all, but... But when you read your Bibles, water and flood tend to be a symbol of God's judgment. When animals are destroyed in wars in the Bible, there, there are places where God says, I want you to go and I want you to conquer this place and I want you to destroy. Amalek comes to mind in the book of 1 Samuel. I want you to destroy all men, all women, all children, and all animals. It is a callback to the flood. And it, is, it symbolizes God's coming final judgment on the offspring of the serpent. Amalek had been a curse to Israel as it had came out of, of uh, Egypt. And God said, one day I'm going to destroy Amalek. And so when he tells Saul to go destroy them and completely annihilate them, it is that they are seed of the serpent. And a flood-like judgment is supposed to come upon them. So that's just considering Jesus and how the flood can be or is used in the Bible for uh, symbolism. But now let's look at chapter 9. We've seen Noah's intercession. Now let's look at the blessings and expectations of this covenant that Noah is, and, and his sons are being brought into. Genesis 9, starting at verse 1. And this harkens back again to Adam and Eve and the blessing that they were given. They're going to receive that same blessing, but there's some other expectations that are given. Verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all of the fish of the sea into your hand they are delivered that's that dominion mandate that adam was given is now given to noah verse three every moving thing that lives shall be food for you this is new now noah is permitted to eat meat now that's not to say that people weren't eating meat before this but if they were eating meat it was in rebellion against god god now says it's okay okay and i say amen as I gave you the green plants, that was back with Adam, I give you everything. But 
You shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Blood symbolizes life. And this is why without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Life for life. It's why Christ shed his blood for us. His life for ours. Verse 5. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. And then he gives a poem, which he gave a poem about marriage in Genesis. He now gives a poem about the image of God and their government. Verse 6, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you... Be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So we see that to Noah and his sons are given the following blessings and expectations of covenant. They have God's blessing to be fruitful and multiply. It's the be fruitful mandate, if you will. Then the dominion mandate is given. Fear is placed upon all the animal world of man, and he is to go out and fill the earth like Adam was. Fill God's cosmic temple, earth, with image bearers who honor and worship him. May have dominion over the earth. Then they are given permission to eat bloodless meat. And then they are given government. Government. Instead of God dealing directly with man's sin, man is now given responsibility. So, so when we have people like Cain and we have people uh, like Lamech who murdered a man because he had hurt him, mankind is supposed to take care of that now. And the penalty is capital punishment, death, life for life. He, he mentions an animal. If an animal kills a man that, man, that animal is to be put to death. If a man kills another man, that man's life is required of him. Okay. Now, later on in the Bible, we have the concept of um, what's called manslaughter, accidental deaths, or killing someone by accident. That's all covered in the Bible. So don't, you know, if somebody comes to you and says, yeah, but what about this? Well, the, the Bible covers that, right? But here we just have this mandate that it's going to be man's responsibility to make sure God's image bearers are honored. And if they don't, God will require a reckoning. Verse 5, for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. Nobody escapes judgment. Nobody escapes judgment. They may escape it in this life, but they'll get it in the next life. Okay, God is a just God. Even the injustice that was placed upon Christ was overturned in his resurrection. Amen? God is a just God. So, the government now has, or mankind, has government responsibilities for capital punishment. Because of the image of God in man. Every person is made in the image of God. And therefore, they are worthy of honor and respect. And you need to remember that when you're interacting with other people who disagree with you on things. These people are made in God's image, and they are worthy of respect. Now, it's been said that government is given by God to promote good and punish evil. That's a principle that we see in Romans 13. Promote good and punish evil. 
Let's consider how well, in our context, the United States does in these categories that God has given us. God desires for heterosexual families to have children. The United States government promotes the killing of children in the womb through abortion. Our government promotes homosexual marriages that cannot produce children naturally or righteously. Our government promotes gender transitions for people, essentially sterilizing them and preventing them from ever being able to reproduce. Beloved, children are a blessing. I understand that there may be couples here or listening this morning who, for reasons known only to God, cannot have children. And I say to you, trust your God, lament your childlessness to him, but trust his steadfast love for you. Okay? Know that that's not a judgment of God upon you. That's just part of this fallen world. Okay? Childlessness, childbirth was going to be difficult from Eve on. <clears throat> we see it throughout the Bible. But though our government fights against it, God desires for heterosexual families to have children. It's part of that be fruitful and multiply. Next, God desires justice in the form of capital punishment for murder. But in, <clears throat> and again, accidental murders, we, we have, we have uh, rulings in the Bible that uh, moderate when a person should be put to death. But in cases of murder, the life of the murderer is to be taken because of the image of God in humans. Yet our government is becoming less and less willing to enact capital punishment for murder. The U.S. government is in rebellion to God in these areas. By no means are we a Christian nation. That being said, it's also been said that any form of government is better than no government. And all governments are given by God. Again, Romans 13. Thus, we are commanded by God to submit to our governmental authorities and to pray for them. Pray that we will be able to live quiet and peaceable lives as we represent God's kingdom rule in our lives and in our church. And we should look for people who promote God's uh, righteousness to vote for and encourage them to be in the government. These issues, though, by way of application in your life, these issues must be considered as you have opportunity to vote. <clears throat> Not all countries have that precious privilege, but you do. And so you need to factor in these considerations as you vote for others. So, what about us as Christians of the New Covenant? Okay, we don't have time to go into this, but our expectations are to live out the kingdom of God as found in the Sermon on the Mount. So we're a part of the New Covenant, and we're brought in, and Jesus is our King, and we are to live out that Sermon on the Mount. Now, I'm going to leave that to you because we do not have all afternoon for me to preach. Let's move on to God's covenant promise with a rainbow sign. In Genesis 9, verse 8. <clears throat> then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Skip down to verse 12. And God said, 
This is the sign of the covenant that I will make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So when we see the rainbows in the sky, what causes a rainbow? Water. We need two ingredients, water and what? Sunshine, right? So when you see a rainbow, if you're in the middle of a storm and you see a rainbow, what's that mean? The sun's shining somewhere, right? The sun is shining somewhere. And that's, that's a reminder to God of his covenant to not destroy the earth, but it's also a promise to us that storms won't continue. And this earth will not be judged by a worldwide flood, We still have local flooding, right? But we won't have a worldwide flood to destroy all flesh again. We learn in later texts that the earth will be remade by fire for the promised new creation. Okay, But that's for another time. For today, I want you to see, or I hope you can see here, that God determined to preserve life through judgment, by the obedience and intercession of one righteous man with Noah. And as I mentioned before, Jesus is the greater Noah. He was completely righteous and obeyed God completely. Jesus is the greater ark going through the floodwaters of God's wrath for us, such that when we repent of our sins and place our faith in Christ, As our Savior and King, God places us in Him and shuts the door and seals us in with His Holy Spirit. In Christ, we are safe from God's judgment upon our sins. Christ's righteousness carries us through death unto life. And as a result of that, we can read, if you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we've hit it last week, some of it. But I want you to see here that baptism is an outward public announcement of an inward spiritual reality. Baptism is an outward public announcement of an inward spiritual reality. And we have this language that Peter uses of the flood. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Right? So he, he is going to bring us to God. He is that ark that will deliver us to God. Uh, he was made alive in the Spirit. We talked about this last time in verse 19, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now the application of the flood waters, 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Baptism is an outward public announcement of an inward spiritual reality. In other words, when you place your faith in Christ as your king, God seals you with his Holy Spirit. He baptizes you, if you will, with his Holy Spirit. 
public baptism is that public, outward public acknowledgement or announcement of an inward spiritual reality. Baptism, going through this baptism, is, is not what saves you. It's your oath, if you will, of loyalty to God. Entering that covenant with Him uh, by placing your faith in Christ that's symbolized by a water baptism. God determined to preserve life through judgment by the obedience and intercession of one righteous man. He did this through Noah for Earth 2.0. Earth 2.0 was populated (coughs) by Noah and his sons and their wives. But ultimately, the flood account points to God's determination to preserve life through the final judgment for the new creation by the obedience and intercession of Jesus Christ. We currently live on Earth 2.0. Earth 3.0, the new creation, will be inhabited by all who repent of their sins and follow King Jesus. He will be the ark that delivers us through the final judgment to the new creation. Will you live on Earth 3.0? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you determined to preserve life for a new earth through the righteous obedience of one man. But, Father, we know that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. He is the substance of the shadow of Noah and the ark. And that he is the one, he is the righteous and obedient servant who will deliver your people through the final judgment for the new creation. And Father, if there are some here this morning that have never trusted you as Savior, they've never been placed on Jesus, the ark, I pray that this morning, through faith, they will repent of their sins and call out to you and ask you to forgive them of their sins because of what Christ did for them. And then, Father, I pray that they will, in obedience, be baptized, make that public announcement of an inward spiritual reality. And, Father, there may be some here who have not been baptized by immersion after their salvation to make that public announcement. I pray, Father, that you will work in their hearts to be obedient to you and to, be, to make that public announcement of Jesus as their King. And then, Father... For those who are here this morning with me, who struggle in this life and wrestle with sin and with righteousness and being obedient to the expectations that you have of us, Father, I thank you that we can rest confident in our union with Christ, that it's his obedience that ultimately matters and that we obey from salvation, not for our salvation. And Father, help us to rest and take joy in that fact that we will never face your wrath. God, you are a good God. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the plan of salvation. I pray, Father, as we are here and on earth 2.0 and as we are awaiting earth 3.0, that we will be telling people and crying out to them and telling them to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus to deliver them through the final judgment. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.